Hey team, welcome to the off season. The off season is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Hey team. This episode is pretty near and dear to my heart. I'm sitting down with Christine Fader. She is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athlete. She's a world masters champ, and she was also diagnosed with premature ovarian insufficiency. There's a lot to this one. There's a lot of emotion that goes into it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy, and this girl is such a gem. Her attitude is leagues above the rest, so definitely take a listen. And she's an open book, so reach out. Christine, welcome to the off season. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. This, um, I don't know, this whole pandemic is getting me to slow down and actually start recording more episodes. So it's been awesome to get, you know, people that I've, I've wanted to talk to for a really long time on here and start chatting. Um, so yeah, let's start with kind of like your sports background. Like I remember when you first came into my office, you were, um, you know, a female jiu-jitsu fighter and doing so much cool stuff. So why don't you fill people in for uh, your athletics? Yeah, so um, from an early age, I've done a lot of different sports. Um, When I was young, I did competitive swimming and segued into soccer, which was a huge passion of mine until about high school. And for most females in the 90s, uh, it was time for me to get a job and pay for my university. So I kind of gave up on sort of sports, organized sports at that time. And then in university until my mid twenties, I really just kind of floated. I didn't have that passion or organized sport or anything to really put energy into. So I ran, I tried yoga, I did surfing. I think I'm, I was like a lot of young people really like searching for an outlet and something to pour my heart and soul into. And then um, in my, early 30s uh i got a broken heart and a muay thai gym opened up down the street for me and i started going for classes get out some energy and while i was there i'd see these people doing jujitsu which is um ground fighting and grappling um and made famous by uh, mixed martial arts so i'd see these people and they'd always be sweating but then like having so much fun and uh, someone told me I should try it out and I did. And I just caught the bug and really started to want to compete and put myself out there. So a little bit later on the curve of, um, you know, starting a sport, but I don't know, it just really spoke to me and I've been going pretty hard at it for about seven and a half years now. That's awesome. And I love like the story of what drove you to kind of Muay Thai and stuff. I, I remember my first heartbreak, I picked up uh, drum lessons. So we all kind of have our thing that we get pushed to do for that. Um, for jujitsu, like I've talked to a lot of guys, obviously, that did it. But like, how do you see the sport for females or, or does it differ that much? Um, I think it's like a, a lot of female sports in that um, women 
don't get the same respect or it's coming. So up until the 90s in Brazil, women weren't even allowed to train jiu-jitsu. It was a male-dominated, male-only sport. And then women started slowly making inroads into the club. And then um, in the early 2000s, women started training and were invited to be a part of the big tournaments like Worlds. And so um, like when I first started jiu-jitsu, I was typically the only female on the mats all the time. And I would say the percentage of females at the club I was at was probably like 2%. There was like three of us, three or four of us. And then now at my gym, I would say the percentage of females at my gym is about 10 or 15%. And we have a good representation of females to men. And, you know, 10, 15 is not that great, but it's better than 2%. So, um, and I just think uh, women have had to fight really hard for equality, equality of pay, um, equality of space, equality of coaching, and it's getting there. Definitely, I'm I'm happy to be part of my club, the Health X Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Society. I'm a instructor there. Um, it's run by a couple really forward-thinking people, and we really try to respect every single person, and that includes a child, male, female, older person. Doesn't matter. Like um, that's our focus and. My, I guess the long and short of it is it's getting there. It still has troubles, like a lot of sporting sports, like hockey and basketball and even yeah, you know, sure. track. Yeah, and it's, it's such an interesting kind of way to see it too. Like, I guess for, for hockey as well, I kind of feel I saw some progressions happen. Like when I played hockey, there was nowhere near the amount of opportunities for women as there is now, you know? Um, and over your like seven and a half year career, have you seen some monumental change like, and how it kind of went down? Yeah, definitely. Um, for instance, uh, when I first started, uh, there was no masters females divisions. So they have masters divisions, which I compete in now, which means you're over 30. And when I first started, there wasn't. So women of all ages had to kind of compete and were thrown into the same uh, competition brackets, whereas men had all these divisions. Uh, so you're seeing a lot more divisions, a lot more tournaments catering to women of all ages. That is really important, I think, because sports should be for people of all ages. I don't think that it should just be for kids or, or super young people. I think you should, if that's your dream and that's what you love to do, you should be encouraged to pursue it for life. Um, and then also payment, payment of cash prizes for the top female athletes, still not on par with men. Um, they always use the, the uh, caveat that the participation percentage is not as much, but it's because we've had a longer struggle to get the numbers there. So um, there are a lot of tournaments that have started to offer the same amount of money and same cash prizes and, and really valuing the work and effort that women put into sport. Um, and then I think just making space for women. I think a lot of gyms are realizing that women are great teammates, great coaches. We are an important part of any team. And I think a lot of clubs are starting to realize that. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, do you feel like, I know you're a coach too. Do you see any differences in the way you would coach a young female athlete versus a young male athlete? Um, I tend to coach uh, the kids are fun. Like they're the best part of my day. I think uh, sometimes women and females and young people, especially they put so much heart and soul and you can see sometimes that perfectionism that a lot of young girls um, have in their life. 
they want to be perfect, but you're never going to be perfect. So uh, when I have like a young girl and maybe she's struggling a little bit because she can't do it perfectly. Yeah, I do try to understand that that's the psyche behind it. Whereas boys, they just want to go hard. And, you know, I've coached kids soccer. I coached eight and under girls. I coached under 13 boys. Like I've done a lot of coaching in my day. And there's definitely differences between the sexes. And girls, I think, just need, sometimes they need to feel safe to, to be a little bit emotional because it becomes such a part of who you are. And, and you know, sometimes you just want to cry. <laughs> and yeah, that's okay. I totally hear that. I think um, I watched the Ronda Rousey documentary the other day and all the guys were saying like when she would train initially at the gym, like how much she would tear up in frustration of not being able to like get a new move or them dominating her. And they kind of laughed at her because they were so much bigger and so much stronger. So have you kind of faced some of that adversity as well going through uh, the ranks? Oh my gosh. I think up until Brown Belt, I cried a lot. I would cry when I first started I would go home to my roommate every day and I would cry and I'd say I'm the worst person that has ever done jujitsu in the history of jujitsu and she'd be like no you're not I know you're not and she's like Christine you just care so much and I did I, I, I really fought hard to prove that I was there for the right reasons and I think women have that pressure sometimes to prove no I'm here to train I'm serious about my training I want to learn I want to perform well. I want to make everyone around me proud. And then when you're constantly making mistakes or you feel like, yeah, a big 190 pound guy just pinned you down and you can't do anything. Yeah, it's frustrating. So um, you can ask any of my old teammates um, who I know you know, uh, they'll tell you I've definitely cried many times on the mat. Yeah. Yeah, almost like therapeutic to get out of the system. And then I'm sure they would say your next move was to take them on again, hey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, when you first came into me, I know your training looked way different probably than it does now, especially with everything that's kind of going on in the world. But um, do you want to walk people through like what training for jujitsu would look like? Yeah, sure. So, um, so actually, uh, when I first started, I um, work out at a gym called Push Fitness in Halifax, and um, I work with a trainer. His name is Chris Andrews. And he does a lot of strength and conditioning with the Dahousie um, swim team, basketball team, a lot of um, athletics over there. So I initially just was working out just to look good, like every female kind of does, I think, at some point in their life. You know, I want to wear a bikini and I want to look good. Um, but he introduced me to sort of training that was smarter, not harder. So, you know, um, a lot of like functional fitness kind of stuff. And it really changed the way that I went to the gym. And then when I started doing Mu Muay Thai, he wasn't really happy with it because he was afraid of the overtraining and um, injuries and stuff. But, um, you know, I respect him as a friend and a coach as well in the strength world, but he always knew so that I would seek his advice. And then I started doing Jiu Jitsu um, and my focus with strength and conditioning changed at that point to really be more injury prevention and sort of um, augment and supplement my training on the mat. So jujitsu training is like pretty physical. Um, I am 39 now, so I can't train the way that I used to when I was even 32. 
when I was 32, I'd do two a day trainings, um, morning and night or multiple classes in a row, five, six times a week on, and then weights two or three times a week. And I can't do that anymore. Um, when I saw you last time, um, I think I was trying to keep up when I first saw you, I was trying to keep up the six day a week, like one rest day, but by one rest day I was at work. So I wasn't really even resting and I was completely burnt out and had crashed and my body was like screaming at me to, you know, you need to take a break. And uh, if it wasn't for my physiotherapist, Drew Stratton, um, I would never have met you because he was like, you know what, like if you keep going this way, you're gonna, you're never going to do jujitsu again. So you need some balance and you should talk to Nicole, <laughs> Dr. Copes. <laughs> so that's how I found you. And um, yeah, so now my training training days are like four times a week and i really focus on like quality over quantity and just try to get good solid sessions in i don't spar all the time or roll so i'm not i'm not always like going against um 20 year old guys every single day because at some point it's just not helping me anymore so as long as i'm on the mats and i'm kind of being mobile moving around um practicing some moves I'm happy. I don't have to go 100% anymore. Yeah, I kind of love that transition that I almost got to see you go through too. And when you first came to me, you were training so much and we could see like the, the side effects of, of overtraining or, or what I would like to call under recovery for the most part. Um, and it's pretty wild. Like when I got you to retell everything that you were doing and then you had a full-time job on top of that and I was just like how are you doing all of this you know and I see it like time and time again and and a lot of female athletes but not just female athletes of this idea or mindset of like bigger stronger faster um, and I think it's just been ingrained in us for so long that you have to train constantly or you have to be um, give it all every single workout to get any benefit of it and what you and I had talked about quite a bit was that um, sympathetic response. So if we had a little bit more control over our, our nervous system, where we could kind of control when it was in fight or flight versus rest and digest, how much better of an athlete you could be to have any sort of control over that, hey? Oh, amazing. And, you know, martial arts, especially you work with a lot of MMA fighters, it's a warrior mentality and you're taught to push through the pain all the time. But there comes a point where it's like, like you're sore all the time you're beaten down mentally, physically, everything, nothing, you know, you just don't feel good. And, and after, after my initial working with you and then um, kind of refocusing and then preparing for master worlds, which I did, I won. So yeah. And I, so Talk thank, more about that. What was that yeah, like? That was amazing. Um, that was like a, a dream come true, but you helped me set up a plan like three months before and I would check in with you and, I really, I worked as hard at recovery for that as I did in actually like preparing, which was totally different from any other tournament that I prepared for. And it really, really paid off. And what did you notice with that? Like, I just, I feel like I talk about this a lot with athletes and then they'll come back and say, well, I still did, you know, seven training days a week, but I really always want to emphasize how important recovery is. So, um, kind of from looking back at it, what did you notice different with taking those recovery days and fueling your body appropriately? I felt every workout, I felt stronger and not just like physically stronger, but mentally stronger. Like I think sometimes when the fatigue sets in of constant training and goal setting and kind of grinding, um, you start to make mistakes. So your form is off 
or maybe you react in a different way because you're mentally, you're fatigued. You can't respond mentally. And, and jujitsu is a mental game as well as a physical game. And so um, I think uh, it allowed me to not make those mental mistakes as well as those physical mistakes. And then I could make every session count. And uh, just if I did weights, I was able to put my heart and soul into it. The cardio conditioning, I was able to just really blast. And then on the days that I didn't train, I often just went for a walk and put music on and listened to it and just walked. And I, I at first, because I don't really like, I'm a go, go, go person. I do like, like sweating and being really like tired. And so um, when I go for the walks, I actually really enjoy them. They were relaxing. I got to think and just um, be quiet a little bit as opposed to, and, and just enjoy fresh air. And it was just different. It was a different mentality, but I felt, yeah, I felt really on the ball with everything. I felt so, and even diet, we had, you had really tweaked my diet too, which made a big difference. Yeah, and it was probably surprising, like, how much food we gave you, hey? How much food and how often I had to eat. I mean, it was funny because my, my I ended up doing the meal prep program with a smooth meal prep, and they were amazing. Um, I love the delivery guys, love the food. And, um, like, sometimes I'd on a Saturday morning, I'd be like, well, I'm going to eat my tuna wrap for breakfast. And just like, I have made sure that every gram of protein I got in every, uh, you know, carb or, you know, I made sure that I, I had everything perfectly and not just, um, not just out of like a perfectionism kind of thing, but because I was seeing results because I was seeing a change in my body's composition and I was feeling so good. I knew how important it was. And then after, of course, I took a break. You know, I wasn't having tuna for breakfast in September. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And croissants. Preparing in season, right? And yeah. uh, taking a break after is huge. I think we kind of glossed over World Masters and what an accomplishment that was for you. Do you want to, like, set the scene for what that would feel like? And I know you had some pretty big highlights in your final match and stuff like that. So do you want to walk us through that a bit? Yeah, so in jiu-jitsu, when you go to a tournament, um, you have first your weight class, weight class that you're in. So I was at the time a purple belt, and then I was in the medium heavy weight class. So I would go against every or certain people, so it's a bracket. You only have one match um, against the person. If you lose, you're done. So 50% of the people in the tournament, the first match they lose, they're done. So um, in that portion of it, I got silver. Um, for the medium heavy, heavy division, I lost the final match. Um, and I almost ended up winning. I started off really slow, really bad, and then in a, got a really bad position. I escaped, and then I almost choked her in the end, which sounds really horrible, but um, it was a friendly choke. And, um, but I wasn't able to pull it off, so I got the silver. And then what they, they have um, for uh, Master 2. So I'm a Master, was a Master 2 at the time. And so every five years is a new master's division starting at 30. So 30 to 35 is master one, 35 to 40 is master two and so on. So out of all the master two purple belts who place in the top three, you then compete against each other for the absolute championship. And so I had five matches to get to gold and I won every single match. And 
ended up getting the gold and I ended up defeating the person that had beat me in my division in the finals. So that was, um, that was pretty special. The, the only thing that was really difficult was um, some of my teammates who were supposed to go couldn't end up going. Um, my main training partner, Joel Jackard, he was texting me and coaching me from Halifax while I'm in Las Vegas. Um, I'd go on the mat, compete, and then come off and, and I'd read and he'd be like, good job, buddy. Uh, make sure you do this next time. And then, you know, go and so forth. So um, it was, yeah, it, it just sort of, I think as an athlete or someone where you pour so much of your heart and soul into something, you do want that tangible thing that proves to you that, okay, this was worth it. The broken bones, the blood, sweat, and tears, the everything like I, this was worth it. And, and I, I love it. And even if I didn't win, it still would have been worth it. But you know, it was just, yeah, it was, I can't describe it. It was, it was wonderful. It was the closest thing I'll ever get to, um, you know, big major leagues stuff. Cause this is an amateur sport and I'm a 39 year old woman, but it was, it was important to me and it was a great feeling. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's major league. Like you killed it up there. And I was so proud of you. Like I remember getting the results back and, and you kind of mentioning it. And I was just like, this is incredible. I can't believe. And, and behind all of that too, like how hard you worked for it. And I think that that makes any, you know, medical professional health coach, life coach, um, it's all about what the, the athlete is willing to do. Right. And you could have all the tools in the toolbox, but like to just watch you say, yep, next to everything that I said and like just mastering it all um, makes like what I do worth doing a hundred percent. So yeah, that was such a cool accomplishment that you had. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny because I think again, it comes down to like the mental preparation too, as much as the physical and, and uh, one thing I've learned in my life, like going through is that just because I have a body doesn't mean I know what's best for my body. And I think a lot of times people think that, oh, I own my body, I know what's good for my body, but I don't, I, you don't. I think as you get older, you realize that. And uh, so I was really lucky to have a lot of professionals around me who have told me, no, you're not doing the right things to your body. This is what you need to do. And finally, I'm getting it right and listening. Yeah, that's so cool. I feel like... Um... That kind of reminds me, there's this um, sports science guy and he's like a professional kind of trainer and, and coach and he, um, it's Fergus Connolly and, and I'm actually gonna have him on the podcast soon, which I'm pretty excited about, but he um, kind of says everyone should have a life coach, everyone should have a coach outside of um, their sport and what they're doing because it's exactly like you said, if, if I was left to my own devices, it's basically uh, insanity, like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? Yeah, it's funny, when I went to Drew, my physiotherapist, and it was the first time I had gone, I had an injury, I had bursitis, and, and I was desperate. It was when Proactive first opened, and I just messaged someone, I'm like, someone needs to help me. And when he met with me, he's like, you've never seen a physiotherapist before. I'm like, no. And then he's like, well, have you been injured? And I'm like, not really. And then we started doing the consult, and he's like, oh my god, like... <laughs> why have you never, and I, I don't know, I just never thought that, I don't know, people, like I never utilized anyone um, to help me before. And so it was sort of like going to him opened me up to all this whole world of like, oh my God, these are what these professionals do. <laughs> and they're really doctors sometimes, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And I, I think like even you as a professional, like as an esthetician, you know, I remember sitting down with you and you just broke down the skin for me. And I was just like, well, why is this happening? And the surface amount that I learn about skin is almost negligible, you know, and it's, it's something like I'm ever so slightly passionate about, but it's not something that I like come home and study. But you and I had numerous conversations about athlete skin and how um, it takes a beating and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, is there some tips of the, the trade that you would kind of recommend to athletes to help their skin? Yeah. So um, like skin health is really, you know, full body health too. It's just like when people say, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, it's everything. It's sleeping, it's eating well, it's, you know, drinking water. So when you have kind of like a good lifestyle and you're still having trouble, um, then you kind of look at, okay, what, you know, either you, it, you start topically, I think, um, and clean up kind of like what you're using. So um, a lot of athletes will overstrip their skin of, of water. They're cleansing with like a lot of gel cleansers, things they think because they're sweating, they're oily, but maybe you're not, maybe it's just oil. So use something really gentle, especially if you're having multiple showers in the day, cleanse with like a milk or just a really gentle cleansing cream. Don't use a bar of soap. Don't use like foamy things with a lot of like detergenty stripping ingredients. Um, Cause you want to preserve the water in your skin. Water in your skin helps your skin to function better. So if your skin's really dehydrated, there's certain enzymes in it that just won't work well anymore. And so you get a buildup of dead skin cells. So that comes to the second part. You want to make sure you're just using like a light moisturizer every day, something water-based, um, something to kind of seal uh, that hydration in your skin, um, but nothing like heavy or thick. And you don't have to go expensive either. You can, whatever you like, as long as you like and you're using it, that's the most important thing. And then exfoliation is really key. So, um, you know, uh, if you're doing sports where you're wearing sunscreen, you're outside a lot, um, or you're wearing a helmet, you get that buildup and irritation. Um, so an exfoliant, like a gentle acid exfoliant, something that's going to um, lift away dead skin cells, but really gently. Um, the longer I get into my career, the less I'm into like really intensive, like um, gritty scrubs and all kinds of like really harsh chemicals. Um, it's just more just you need to be like with diet you have to do it like 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it like 80 to 90% of the time, you're pretty good with your skincare. Hopefully your skin gets better. If it doesn't, that's when you've got to look at the root cause. And it's usually something hormonal, internal, um, parasites even, gut stuff. But that's not my wheelhouse anymore. That would be your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then one question I always get, and I know I'm putting you on the spot for these, but oh, okay. um, I think it's important to the listeners. And I think like it's even for like guys, sometimes it's not stuff that they ask about, but they may mention it in passing in an appointment or something. But um, like uh, acne on backs and like the butt area. Um, do you have any quick fixes or quick tips for that sort of stuff? But I know it always comes back down to like the internal and taking care, but just kind of like topically what they could do. Yeah, so um, with back acne, it can be like really tough, especially with guys like equipment. Um, I think it comes down to sometimes like football players, like a lot of equipment, you get that buildup of sweat, which breeds bacteria. 
So I think for them is just to get out of the shower, get into the shower as soon as possible and using some type of cleanser. The back has a ton of oil glands and they can be quite active. So you can use something a little bit um, more aggressive on the back, like, like a gel cleanser. But honestly, I would treat it right away. Um, and then um, making sure like your workout gear, like a lot of synthetic t-shirts and things, like they might be sweat wicking, but over time they kind of build bacteria and stuff. So make sure you're like cleansing your clothes properly. You're using like a gentle detergent or something gentle, but effective. Um, and, uh, you know, come for treatment. If you can't get to your back, it's a really difficult area. Um, LED light treatments are really great. They're, they're not that expensive. They're non-invasive. They don't have any, um, like, uh, side effects that you have to really worry about. You just lay down, we would do like a little treatment and then put your skin under a blue light and the blue light will help kill bacteria and will help that area to heal. So I've had some good success with, um, with light treatments on backs before. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah, there's so much stuff out there now to, uh, I don't know, help with these things and all of these treatments that I think you introduced me to a lot of the light therapy stuff. And um, it sounds cheesy to say because you're sitting right here with me, but um, you gave me my first facial that I've ever had. And it was amazing. Like my skin was so good for so long. And not only that, like the... um, education that you put in behind is something that I respect so much so like while you were doing the treatment you taught me so much about the skin and the different layers and like my personal skin situation so um I think that's huge and I would definitely recommend your services to anyone um do you want to tell people where you work at yeah I work at Spirit Spa um we have two locations one on Hollis Street downtown and one in the Hodgestone I'm at the downtown location um uh, I love doing what I do. I love being an esthetician. I especially love the skin. Um, right now, my focus has been trying to help people with um, PPE and like breakouts from masks and stuff. That's been kind of interesting doing a little bit of research there. Um, but yeah, like uh, skin. And I, I'm not, that. it's just my opinion. Like there's lots of really good people out there for skin stuff and maybe my way can help you. But if it doesn't, like, I don't know, don't ever think that your skin's stuff can't be solved. It's just that, uh, you know, different different ideas and different ways of doing things might work for different people. And hopefully I, I try my best, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I see that often too. And I think you have said that to me even before of like, um, everyone is so individualized and what works for one obviously is not going to work for uh, the next person coming in. So any sort of medicine and any sort of like intervention is really like an educated guess, right? So we've read all the books, we've studied all the literature, we keep up with research and based on your presentation, this seems to fit. Um, And that kind of like really segues us into why I really wanted to have you on this episode too, um, because you've taught me so much through um, everything that you've gone through. So I don't want to take any of your thunder. I'd love for you to tell your story from um, kind of your initial seemings that something was off. Um, So go for it. Yeah. So um, I guess this was kind of like a side um, happening to our relationship. Like um, when I first came to see you, it was mostly about, okay, under recovery, overtraining, let's get healthy. And then I got healthy and then it was like, okay, let's go for Master Worlds. 
And then in training, in researching and going through Master Worlds training, um, I came to realize I was on birth control and it wasn't something that I wanted for my body anymore. Um, I wasn't using it for contraception. I was using it because um, there's something going on with my hormones and it had been given to me about five years, four or five years prior. Um, but we didn't want to mess with anything because, you know, Master Worlds is maintain status quo and, and then afterwards, let's address it. So after Master Worlds in August, I came home and I was starting to get some side effects of the, um, of the birth control in that I was getting some anxiety out of nowhere. Um, my breasts were sore all the time. Like I couldn't even like, ah, it was just so painful and I just wasn't feeling like myself. And so, um, I actually didn't even get to the end of my birth control pack that month in September. Like I think it was mid September. I was going to Paris for training and I just quit cold Turkey. And probably within about two weeks, 10 days to two weeks of being off birth control, I started to feel awful. Like, um, at first I thought I was getting sick and then, um, like my joints ached. Um, I started to feel really warm all the time. Um, I just started to, I don't know, kind of like my workouts were really bad. Didn't have like the aerobic capacity that I normally had. So then I, um, I, I remember calling you and I was like, what's going on? And you're like, okay, this sounds just like a bit of a hormonal imbalance. Let's do some different supplements and um, we'll try to support you there. So, uh, and then I started to get hot flashes and like legit, like sweating hot flashes. I actually was in denial about it. I remember being at work and being like, is anyone else like warm in here? Like, I feel like I'm getting a hot flash. And then I was like, maybe I'm in menopause. And um, I remember making another appointment with you and you were like, no, I don't think like anything's crazy like that. I think you're just like, going through all of these um, changes from, you know, your body, body rebalancing. But after that, like it was like a downward slope. I couldn't even do a body weight squat without pain in my hip joints. Every joint hurt so much. I would go to the gym and cry because I couldn't even do one tenth of a workout that I had done before. Um, I was having insomnia. I was having anxiety. I was having hot flashes multiple times an hour. Um, and when I started like kind of looking online, because I had resources I would go to and I was looking for post-birth control stuff, but everything kept leading me towards menopause. So I went to my doctor and he had the same thoughts as you. He was like, no, it's just your body like trying to rebalance itself, but let's see where the imbalance is. We'll send you for some blood work. And uh, I went for the blood work and that night he called me and, and uh, he said, no, I think actually you have um, premature ovarian failure and uh, you, your ovaries are not producing any hormones at the moment. And I was kind of it was not the diagnosis that I wanted to hear, but it was relieving because then I knew I wasn't going crazy and um, there was treatment. Uh, but the frustrating part of the whole thing is, is that um, in our medical system, um, I was only offered birth control 
as the treatment to going forward again. And that's not what I wanted. So, um, yeah. So then I went back to you and cried and was super frustrated um, because even going from being like in the best shape of my 30s, winning worlds, lifting 200 pounds at the gym, no problem. It's like my warm up deadlift to I can't even do a bodyweight squat and I'm in so much pain. And now they want to put me back on something that didn't make me feel good to begin with. So yeah, it was very, very frustrating and like crazy time. Yeah, it was wild, even for me to like hear the story and um, kind of what it, I mean, it was always on a differential list of what was possibly going on. And um, you want to like set patients up for that, but also not, you know, pushed in a direction before we actually think it's that. And um, with just coming off birth control, not getting your period back, um, and some of the original symptoms you were feeling, like, yeah, that makes sense. Like a post-birth control syndrome, let's try to um, mitigate some of the symptoms that you're feeling. But then as soon as we're getting to like the severe joint pain and like the extreme lethargy and all that, then it was kind of like, okay, we should probably look more into this because it just didn't fully align with, you know, all the post-birth control. Um, syndrome symptoms. So just even for like listeners out there, um, you had read Stacey Sims book on Roar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was one of um, the initial conversations that we had about birth control. And the thing about birth control is it is fake hormones put on like an already complicated, probably hormonal picture. And again, I have I have no interest in telling a woman what to do with her body, but when we look at the research for athletes, we are leaving a bit of um, potential of performance on the table when we are taking birth control. Um, and it's, it's not really like a fix all. Like I think um, if you're taking it for painful periods or long periods, like there's something else internal that's going on. That's, that's causing that, that we may see down the road show up worse, you know, after, um, after you come off birth control or if you start to try to have a family or, or that sort of stuff too. So I think just getting some really good education out there and Stacey Sims book Roar is a great um, initial book to start to, to read some of that stuff and just even understand how our cycle works, you know? Well, one of the things that really um, in my own research with hormonal birth control, so um, my battle has been to get the treatment that I want, which is hormone replacement therapy. And so um, that's the gold standard of care that has been laid out by the NIH in the US. And um, it's what all the real professionals go by um, who study endocrinology. Um, but it's not well known and my condition's not that common. So a lot of people just reach for birth control again. And in my research, the thing that birth control, I didn't realize shuts down the connection between your brain and your ovaries and so they don't communicate anymore and your ovaries just don't work at all You're taking this exogenous hormone and you know the more i read about it the more i was like what this is insane like how can you shut down the the brain communication between such an important regulatory part of the body not just it's not just about reproduction it's about how your body functions day to day and how it can make you feel and the balance of all the other hormones in your body. And, you know, they talk about, um, you know, men taking steroids and stuff like that. It's like no different. And, you know, it just, I just can't, I don't know. I just don't see it as being like a good 
thing for for anyone, um, especially not myself anymore. And yeah. the thing the HRT, which is partially why I do want it, is that it doesn't actually interfere with that connection. So if I do have a little bit of estrogen production from my ovaries or any other type of hormonal production, my ovaries like have the chance to kind of start back up again or, you know, do their own thing. So that's why I want the HRT. Um, but unfortunately with the pandemic, all my appointments have kind of gotten waylaid. So I'm still on birth control. I'm still waiting. But um, I think for me, knowing that this is going to be my life for the next 10 years, I'd rather just wait and get it done properly. Um, another couple of months, because we're all waiting right now. So who wants is not a big deal. Yeah. And I think like, even what, as you said, like, I think we shared the same research paper with each other one night, because we're both kind of like trying to find out the best, um, best approach for this for you. And, and I agree, hormone replacement therapy in the literature seems to be the way to go with this. And I know you were on a couple um, like feeds where other women have been going through this and, and their uh, situation. So yeah, it seems like their uh, hormone replacement therapy has gone better than being on birth control as well. Hey. Yeah, definitely. And you know, one thing I think the struggle for me is, and it's not, not a, it's not a criticism of our healthcare and I'm not criticizing doctors, um, especially family doctors. Like my brother, he's a physician and he's like family docs know, a list of disorders like a mile long but an inch deep so you can't possibly know everything but when I went to talk to my family doc um, he's younger he's a great guy super smart but I felt like I was educating him a little bit which is fine I have no problem educating people but um, we kind of got in a this is just like a side story a little argument because I was like well you know birth control hormones are synthetic and they're about, what is it, four times more potent or three times more potent, the estrogen, than the estrogen in the um, patch, which is what I want. And he's like, no, no, they aren't. They're the same dosage, same thing. And I was like, no. And anyways, so then, then I was like, you know, in birth control, damp is a female's athletic performance by up to 10%. And he's like, how do you know that? And so, you know, there was like a lack of trust, which I get because people are internet, you know, they go on Dr. Google or whatever. I'm like, well, Stacey Sims, and she is a physiologist who studied female athletes. And then he finally kind of was like, well, I guess she'll, she'd know more about that than I would. And I was like, okay, good. Um, but yeah, there's this like kind of battle back and forth about kind of what I want and what's easiest. It's easiest for the doctors for me if I go on birth control because I don't need to have any extra blood work. There's no sort of titration. It's the same thing every month. But what's best for me is the hormone replacement therapy. And I just want to try because maybe it's not best, but, you know, I, I would like that option. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, we had even had this conversation before, too, of like how strong you are to be able to fight for your medical rights and for um, what you feel like you need as a patient. And um, I think like, obviously, I was always in your corner to, you know, back up what you were saying or provide any support that I could. But just like the strength of you to be able to sit in that office and quote stats and say you've done your research. And, and yes, of course, we want to put all of our faith in the medical system that, you know, they know what's best. But honestly, like it, 
the last thing a doc probably wants to do after seeing 50 patients in a day is to go research the latest, greatest research paper on women's physiology, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, um, I think as females, a lot of times we're taught to um, put other people's feelings before our own. And that even goes with like the medical system, you know, um, people are afraid to lose their family doctors. They're afraid to disagree with someone because people are the gatekeepers to other, other doctors or other, um, you know, information or, or treatments. And so they're afraid of offending someone when it should be, no, it's your health. You should, you should advocate for yourself because, um, you have to live with yourself and you know what's right or what's wrong and and don't worry about someone else's feelings they will get over it yeah Yeah. i think that's huge and um i know you and i had had that conversation numerous times and it was it's like uplifting for me to see that you come in and have a list of questions and ask me stuff and if i don't know we research it together you know i think we all have to do that because there's not one person or one medical professional that knows everything about everything you know so even with this diagnosis that you had the rarity of it, I was like, what are the chances that this extremely fit, uh, physically active young female who can perform at the top level of her sport have this condition? And when we look at the condition, it's like potential genetic factors, um, potential adrenal impact. Um, So there's so many reasons why it could happen. But um, the fact is, it's still quite rare, you know, so we learn about it in school and maybe like a bottom left hand corner of a text somewhere. So I knew it existed. But, you know, what are the chances of you actually being diagnosed with it in that that be your condition? So I think like, even in the naturopathic realm, I'm not sure there's so much you could do. It's just your body's not making the hormones that you need. So you need those hormones, you know? Yeah, and I think um, it's just, again, it's having someone that you can talk to and problem solve. And it's like with skin, even I'll have people that will come in and they'll ask my advice. And I know it's not in my scope or it's not in my, but at least I can send them in a direction. I can give them advice like you should read this or maybe you want to see um, a nutritionist. Maybe you want to see someone about allergies. Um, You know, I can't do those things, but it's always good to have people to bounce ideas off of. Definitely. And I think too, um, one of your biggest heartaches was someone calling this like early menopause. And um, when we look at papers and stuff, that's what they somewhat call it at times. But I think you were right. And you're feeling like that's, that's not what this is, you know, and there's something else going on aside from menopause and potentially with menopause, eventually we know it's going to come, but the early onset of, of these types of conditions can be really detrimental to mental health too, hey? Oh, it's, you know, here I, I mean, I'm a person, um, I've always been told how young I look my whole life. And, you know, that becomes part of your identity, whether you want it to be or not. You, you It's like the things that you tell yourself or you hear about yourself every day becomes part of your identity. I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm an esthetician. I do these things. And then, you know, what people have said to me my whole life, oh my God, you look so young. And I know that it's been positive and negative, but, um, but to suddenly have something where you're like premature, like menopause and premature aging. And suddenly I'm at risk of all of these things that happen to older people like Alzheimer's and heart disease and dementia 
and um, you know bone osteoporosis and uh, and it's out of my control and I feel like I've done a lot to take care of myself and then your body just is like sorry <laughs> we're just done here and uh, that's really hard to wrap your brain around and it's kind of like a betrayal in a way and uh, but you know I feel a lot better about it now that I've been in that sort of community where I'm reading about a lot of things and seeing a lot of um, you know other women with the same condition as me and, and they're fine and they talk about when they get the proper treatment how good they feel and so I'm optimistic it's just more when you're in that like gray area and you're like you don't know anyone with it you read all these horror stories um, and there's not much positivity it just can really wear you down yeah um, and for kind of the support groups that you've been um, into and kind of listening to and, and following, has there been uh, other female athletes that you know of that have this condition and kind of what do they say about it? Um, very few, but definitely they all say like once um, they, um, okay, hold on a second again. One second. Dad. Um, yeah, so I have come across some female athletes, um, not as many as I had hoped, but a lot of people, um, really say how, I think the thing that I res resonates the most with is sort of the fatigue, um, some of the problems that they had before they were on proper hormones. And then once they get treatment, how good they feel. Um, I think, um, I actually think five years ago, when I initially went on birth control, a lot of those feelings that I were having was sort of the beginning of my ovaries, um, going for the last, last gasp, so to speak. Um, so, uh, you know, I was getting, so, it's the joint pain and, and the, the fatigue and the lack of like sort of, um, cardio that I had that was really made me notice something was wrong, I guess. Um, and so, um, I wish there was more female athletes that had out there. So I'm trying to be more open about it. I don't, all my teammates know, because I just take it as an opportunity to, to um, kind of educate, especially about female hormones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. And, and not that I'm happy that you have this by any means, but at least it's an opening up for, for communication. And when you had talked about, um, you know, five plus years ago, when you started the pill and it was potentially because of um, premature ovarian failure, it, it kind of makes me wonder ever so slightly, like if that was caught sooner, if there was things that, and you never want to go back and think about the what ifs, but just as kind of maybe like an overall reminder for people that if the symptoms don't always fit or if it doesn't feel good, if it feels like a misdiagnosis, definitely start to kind of like ask questions about it. Hey. Well, yeah, because yeah, five years ago it was, they told me I had a PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And so um, when I looked at it, it never really resonated with me because I never had um, the hormonal kind of um, dysregulation with mood. So I never got this like crippling depression um, before my periods. Yeah, I had bad PMS, but, um, and it would go away with my, when I would get my period, but I never had this like suicidal rage or, like anger or sadness. I never had this, this sort of mood dysregulation 
but some of the physical things fit. And so I think I was just so desperate to have some, someone tell me something like right that I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah. But if, if anyone had ever asked me, I was like, Oh, I have PMDD, but I don't identify with the, um, the uh, emotional side of it. It's just more the physical side that I get. And, and when I think back now, even in my twenties, I was always like buying, um, uh, hormone, uh, helping pills like, um, estrosense and things like that. Like trying, cause I always thought I was estrogen dominant or in some way, or I, and I, I wish that I had, I wish that when I was younger, there was just more information about female hormones. It, there really wasn't anything other than what you took in health class in grade seven. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And even for PMDD, like the hallmark part of PMDD is the depressiveness of it, you know? So um, it's so tough. And, and I think like, I can respect Stacey Sims enough and, and for her just trying to like break open this mold and start to educate as much as possible on female hormones. And she kind of got me into the game too, just, just showing me like, what's possible out there and and that what I was seeing in clinic there's a reason for it right um so yeah I think that's huge and I, I love that you're sharing your story too because I think it's so important for young female athletes or female athletes of any age to hear because um these signs that you're talking about of joint pain and fatigue and um you know inability to change body composition despite how many how much you're trying to and um, anxiety and not being able to sleep like all of these are signs that uh, hormones are going down right so whether that be um, later in life for full-blown perimenopause or uh, menopause or um, if this diagnosis is on the table like definitely start to ask practitioners these questions because it's not something you just have to deal with right no and the joint pain like um, I think you've done a post about it explaining why women especially when they have the drop in estrogen um get joint pain and how protective and sort of i don't know if you want to say lubricating but how it really makes your your joints healthy and happy and so it just made sense you know when i went from having estrogen to none that i couldn't do anything <laughs> and that was in pain like even my feet hurt i'd get up in the morning and be like oh my god like everything hurts and uh and just how like um bone protective too and muscle protective in those few months um uh, that i was without any hormones i saw a friend right after and i'd lost weight and it wasn't because of i was losing muscle because i couldn't do workouts but then i also think there was something going on where i just couldn't hold onto the muscle like i was normal like used to so one of my greatest accomplishments, though, is that I went to New York and I fought in the throes of menopause. And so wild. Which is crazy because I was having the worst hot flashes ever. And my friend Joel and I, we almost missed our, our fights and we got stuck in traffic and we were running and I'm just like sweating to death and like, uh, I'm like fatigued and I almost like felt like I was going to pass out during my matches. And anyways, and then after I found out, I was like, oh, that's why. This makes so much sense now. Why I feel this way, hey? Yeah, and like you kind of um, sharing all of your story with me and, and I love that you're sharing it with kind of anyone who's around or asks questions about it because um, 
it's interesting, right? And it's and it's another advocate for women's health and women's women's athletic health in general because this is not something we see every day. It is a rarity, and and even if we take it back to the basic constructs of, of period issues for female athletes, like if it is a huge disturbance for you, then it's not supposed to be that way. Like so many symptoms are um, so common but not normal, and I would go to like events or like dinner parties and stuff and start talking about this stuff because it would come up and I'd be like you don't have to feel that way and they'd be like what and it's just shocking for some people so um I'm so happy you're sharing your story yeah and even I think like as a female athlete I think it's so important to have people to support you have people you can ask questions to um and and also like really listen to yourself and your body I remember one thing reading Stacey Sims book, she talked about like heart rate values and the week before your period and how um, if you actually rest when you're feeling really tired the week before, the gains that you can make the week after are going to go through the roof. Mm -hmm. And it's your body's natural sort of protection to kind of gear down before you have sort of a stressful experience. And one of the things I had noticed, I wore a heart rate monitor like 10 years ago all the time. And the week before my period, I could never get my heart rate to max, like or my like 90% max when I'd be doing sprints. And I never knew why. No one could ever tell me why. I, I asked so many people. And if I'd had her book back then, I would have known why. And I also probably would have been easier on myself because I saw it as like a physical failing. Like if only I could just push harder, like why can't I get my heart rate up to 188 beats right now? I can only get it to 180. And uh, if I had known, no, Christine, you should be at home, like chilling out, you know, you'll, you'll get it back up there next week. It just would have, I don't know. I, I'm, I love uh, female hormones and performance. I think it's just so important and, and learning how to work with what you've got, you know, will just make you feel and do so much better. Definitely. And like sweat rates change, um, mood changes, like your headspace and visualization can change uh, with changes in hormones and like ligament laxity can change. And I think the the fact that, um, you know, high level research papers are just kind of disregarding this is such a disservice to women. And, and I'm so glad that this is being pushed now in that narrative of, oh, they're on birth control. Let's delete them from the study or that doesn't make sense that's a weird outcome let's just not measure it um hopefully it's starting to fall by the wayside and that uh, a lot of more research papers will come out on this and then we can see some more of the drastic differences between men and women and how to train appropriately right because we're just on the cutting edge of this now there's so much i'm i'm assuming that's going to come down the line to optimize performance and kind of respect to the ladies that came before us and even us earlier in our career, like we had no knowledge of this and just powered through, right? And I don't always know if that's the best approach. The more I learn, the more, as you said, like I wish I could go back and like implement some of these things to see how potentially good you could be or how to optimize performance that way. Um, so I'm kind of excited for the future. And I know we talked before uh, we started recording of your kind of message to women. So I would love if you could share that too. So um, if I could share like anything for women, um, it's uh, got a couple of sides to it. It would be, you know, age. Like I think it's really important for women of all ages to find a passion, whether it be sports or something, but if sports is your thing, like don't give it up, you know, 
when you have kids or when you work is really busy. Um, I think, and I think if you've never done sports and you're 55 or 60 and you want to do it, like do it. Like it, you, you should find something that you really like to do. Don't let age or potential, um, you know, uh, limitations that you have set on yourself, like stop you from doing those things. Um, I've always been really lucky. I had really good role models in my life that even as they got older, they still pursued the things they really love to do. And I think sometimes we always think that when you're in your twenties, that's the time to follow your dreams. And I just think any age, you should follow your dreams right up to your last dying day. And don't forget to ask. <laughs> don't forget to what was the end of there? Don't forget to ask for help. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yes, I love that so much. Um, one of the questions I'm kind of finishing most of the podcast with is, I want to get yours a little bit more specific. So young female athletes that are um, maybe even breaking into jiu-jitsu or any sport, like what would be some sort of piece of advice that you would leave them with or something that you wish you could instill on a younger you? Um, I think that nothing comes overnight. Nothing is going to be easy. Um, especially if you're talking jujitsu, nothing's intuitive. You have to train yourself to do the right things. Um, and just to put your head down and enjoy the process and just go through it. Um, and yeah, don't forget to ask for help. I think like asking for help is, it seems weak to people sometimes, but it's actually the strongest thing that you can do is to, uh, acknowledge that maybe you're, you're struggling and you need help in some area. Um, but yeah, just, just enjoy the journey and don't, don't, don't worry about what other people think either, you know, focus on yourself and, um, just do what makes you happy. And, and I think I, for female athletes too, if I can say one of the, is don't be so hard on yourself yes. and you don't have to be perfect. And like, so what if someone else is skinnier than you or, you know, taller than you or whatever, like focus on you, what you're good at, what you can do, what you can control within yourself and just go from there. I think um, women sometimes are hard on themselves so much. And a lot of that comes down from a comparison thing and you don't need to compare yourself. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that better or couldn't agree more with you. And um, so many people say, I don't feel good enough. And I'm like, well, what the hell is good enough? You know, and it's so individualized and relative. And I think um, I talk about this probably to every female patient. And I'm sure guys feel it too, but it's just extremely evident in the female population that I work with of this underlying sensation of, of not being something, you know, that they're supposed to be or not being perfect. And, and I like that you ended on that because I wish I could shout that from every rafter in the world, you know? Yeah, I see a lot of it even with my adult students at the, at the gym. Um, they are, people are pushing themselves so hard and they're not even enjoying the process anymore because they're doing what they think they need to do because everyone else is doing it. And they're, um, they're trying to reach this, this goal that they think once they get it, they're going to be so happy. And sometimes you're not happy when you reach the goal because you realize there's just another thing over the, the hill that you're going to have to do. And it's really not about the goal. It's about like the process too like and enjoy it 
yeah, you're so right on all of that. And um, I think that's like a wicked place to kind of leave people with. And I'm so appreciative of you coming on and uh, sharing like a, a pretty personal story with us. And I think all it can do is just add to the education on female hormones and kind of what's hopefully coming down the line for um, possibilities and research and all that sort of stuff too. So I'm sure we could have another episode asking you every skin question under the book. I'd love to. Um, could people reach out to you? Are you comfortable kind of giving some contact information or like Instagram or something that the people can find? Yeah. So my, my Instagram is crust, C-H-R-U-S-T. Um, it's because I get really cranky when I'm dieting for jujitsu. I don't often diet, but even those like two pounds, I'm not happy. I don't like (laughs) it. I just want to be able to have chips and and train too, but sometimes you got to cut them out. Um, and then if you want to get in touch with me at spirit, you can email me at Christine F at spiritspa.ca. That's awesome. I highly recommend it. It was a facial was like a, a game changing experience for me too. I'll have to get back once this is all over. Hey, yeah, I'd love to. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your story and, and giving some of your time to me. Yeah. Anytime. I loved it. Okay. Well, we'll talk soon. 